Well, good morning, Mountain Park. How are we doing? All right. So <laughs> I think some of you are doing good. So glad that you're here this morning. Those of you who watched online, so glad to have you as well. My name is Dwayne. I serve as the adult ministry pastor here at Mountain Park, which means I get to work with some amazing people on our staff and, and many of you who are volunteers. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. And a lot of great ministries I get to oversee between outreach and, and our welcome teams and our groups and classes. And uh, speaking of that, uh, you know, our groups and classes are going to be starting up soon. One of our ministries, Marriage Monday, is uh, going to be starting up here real soon. And uh, yes, it's a great ministry here. And we, we believe in it. We believe strong, strong marriage means strong family, which means strong church. And uh, if your marriage is in a place where it maybe just needs a tune-up or a complete overhaul, we'd love to have you uh, step into that. Registrations are open uh, out in the lobby afterwards. You'll see some people with some uh, blue shirts on at St. Marriage Monday. You can stop by and talk to them, and they'll definitely answer some questions that you might have. I'd love to see you be a part of that. And uh, if you're new here to Mountain Park, maybe this is your first time here, welcome, or maybe you've been coming for a few weeks, uh, I'd like to invite you right after this service in the cafe, we have our Discover Mountain Park lunch, and this is an opportunity just to uh, get to know Mountain Park a little bit, meet some of our staff and some of our folks, and I'll be leading that, love to meet you and, and uh, have lunch with you, so uh, interested in being a part of that, uh, stop by. Uh, well, today I'm excited to share uh, some fun stuff with you today as we wrap up this summer series called Generations. And if you've been hanging out, we've been talking about different generations and, and how God distinctly uses them in, in specific ways and uh, to accomplish his purpose. And today we're going to wrap this series up and they save the best for last. Amen? All right, that was weak. But anyway, we'll take it. They saved the old guy for last. That's what I meant to say. The guy with the white hair and the gray hair gets to talk to the seasoned generation today. Can I, can I get an amen from my seasoned folks? All right. I didn't even have to put an age limit on it. They just knew who they were. It's just funny how that works. But anyway, nothing wrong with getting older, right? You know, sometimes you get a little older and, and maybe, maybe you lose a step or maybe you start forgetting things. It's just, it's just part of life. It just happens. In fact, it reminds me of a story of, of Bob and Mabel. Now, Bob and Mabel, they were, they were getting up there in years, and um, Bob found himself, you know, forgetting things all the time, and Mabel just got tired of it, and she said, we're going to the doctor, we're going to see if we can get this fixed. And so she drags, she drags Bob to the doctor, and the doctor checks him out and, and realizes, Bob, you know, you're in great health. He said, you just, you're just being forgetful, so I, here's the prescription, write things down, just write stuff down, and you'll remember it. And so they get home, and later that night, uh, they're, they're watching TV, and Mabel says, hey, honey, could could you go in the kitchen and, and make me a sandwich? And Bob says, sure, I'd love to. Uh, what would you like? And Mabel says, well, I, I, like, I like wheat bread. Okay, wheat bread. And, and uh, uh, ham and cheese, ham and cheese, okay. And, and mayo, and mayo, put it on there. And uh, uh, some pickles and onion and lettuce. Okay, yep, yep, I got it, good. Okay, and he starts to walk. She says, wait, one more thing, and tomato. Tomato on there. He says, okay, no problem. And then she says, Bob, Bob, you need to write that down. Remember the doctor said, write all that down. He said, no, no, Mabel, I've got it. So Bob goes in the kitchen, and he's in there for about 10 minutes, clanging away at things. And finally, he comes walking back out, and he hands Mabel a big bowl of cereal with a spoon in it. And Mabel gets it, and, and she looks at it, and she does one of those looks. Guys, you know, she's like, Bob, I told you to write it down. And Bob says, Mabel, what, what are you talking about? What's wrong with it? Bob, you forgot the milk. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. That's a good one. 
You know what? Nobody ever admits to being old. In fact, old, somebody once said, old age is always 15 years older than you are. That's, that's the way that it works. But um, age is a funny thing. You know, the funny thing about, about age is that um, the only time in our lives when we like getting old is, is when we're kids. You talk to a kid who's under, under 10, and you say, how old are you? And what do they say? I'm four and a half. I'm four and a half. Really? Four and a half. You're never 36 and a half, are you? You're never 36 and a half. Yeah, and then when you get in your teen years, you just jump to the next number. How old are you? I'm going to be 16. How old are you now? I'm 13, but I'm going to be 16. And then you become 21. It's like a ceremony. I have become 21. And it's an amazing age. You live a little bit longer, and what happens? You, you, you turn 30. It's like, it's like, what happened there? He's like bad milk. What happened to him? Oh, he turned, you know. It's, we got to throw him out or something. I don't know how that works. Well, then, uh, after, you, after you turn 30, you live a little longer, and pretty soon you're, you're pushing 40. You're pushing 40. You go to a party, and it's like, why is he in the corner? He's pushing 40. Just leave him alone. He's over there by himself. Then you reach 50, right? You become 21. You turn 30. You're pushing 40. You reach 50, and then you make it to 60. And by that time, folks, you built up enough speed, you hit 70, right? That's what happens. You hit 70. After that, it's just like I hit Wednesday. I hit lunch. That's the way that it works. And then finally, maybe, not finally, but if you get, if you get into your 80s, um, you don't even buy green bananas anymore. I got, I got into my 80s. I'm, I'm done with that. And then what happens uh, in your 90s, it's, it's strange. You start going backwards. Somebody says, how old are you? I was just 92. I thought you were 95. I am, but I was just 92. And then a strange thing happens if you make it over 100. You become a little kid again. How old are you? I'm 100 and a half. <laughs> Happy aging, folks. That's the way that it works. Well, I tell you what. At, at age 57, very close to 58, my wife Sherry and I, we find ourselves um, in the midst of what we call the sandwich generation. And here's the thing, we're not the bread, <laughs> we're, the, we're the meat in the middle. And what I mean by this is on one side of the sandwich, we have our, our, our parents. We have our, in our case, we have our, our moms who um, are at a place and stage in their lives where they, they depend on us for a lot of stuff. They need our help with things. They need our help to, to buy groceries and to take them places and to get, go to the doctors with them and, and just to care for them. And so we do that. We try to encourage them. We try to do things for them and help them. At the other end of the sandwich, we have our grown children. And um, they, 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 they don't live with us, praise God, but they are, you know, at a place in life where, where they still need our help. And so we try to encourage them. We try to give them advice, and we try to help them wherever we can as they raise their families. And, and so we're in the middle of this, and, and running through the sandwich, kind of like a, a pickle or something, are these, these little guys called grandchildren. All right? How many of you folks have grandchildren? Can I get an Amen. Grandchildren are amazing. Um, yes. Let me show you a verse in Scripture. Because the Bible talks about grandchildren. It's a great verse. Proverbs 17, verse 6. Here's what it says. It's going to come up on the screen. It says, children's children are a crown to the aged. A lot of you in here have those crowns, right? Sometimes you want to crown the kids, but you have those crowns. A crown to the aged and parents uh, are the pride of children. My wife Sherry and I had no idea how much grandkids would change our lives. 
Um, if we would have known how much these little joys were going to change our lives, we would have skipped having kids altogether and went right to grandkids. And I know some of you can relate to that. Amen. They have brought such joy to our lives. We have, we have four grandsons. We, we don't have a princess. We have four grandsons. And uh, these, these four amazing little men, they have the combined energy of, I think, two nuclear bombs between the four of them. And uh, they are so much fun. They, they make us laugh a lot. Um, they sometimes uh, make us angry, sometimes. Uh, but more often than not, you know what they do? They just make us tired. That's exactly what they do. They wear us out. But we wouldn't trade this season of ministry for anything. Now, b- before those of you who maybe haven't reached this season age, you know, just kind of say, well, this isn't for me this morning. I'll just pull out my phone and check my Facebook. I want to encourage you as well to lean into this conversation this morning. Because what I want to talk about today, what I want to challenge us with today, spans every generation in this room and those of you watching online as well. Today I want to talk about a currency. And uh, it's not a currency like, 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 you know, Bitcoin or Dogecoin or anything like that. It's a currency that, that is free, it's a currency that's plentiful, and a currency that's powerful. And it's what I refer to as the currency of encouragement. And the reason I, I refer to it as, a, as a, a, a currency is because of how valuable it is and how versatile it is. Encouragement's one of those things, you can, you can hold on to it, you can keep it, you can save it, or you can spend it, you can invest it. And when you do that, it produces a tremendous return. Encouragement, especially generational encouragement, are what legacies are built upon. And this morning I have a single big idea. If you don't learn anything or hear anything I say, I want you to walk away with this. And here's what it is. If you want joy in your future, live a life of encouragement today. Folks, listen to me. Nobody, 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 nobody ever gets to the end of their life and says, I was encouraged too much. That's never a deathbed regret, is it? No, it's not. But if you want joy in your future, live a life of encouragement today. That's the road we're going to travel down. So let's pray together and we'll head down that road. Father, thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for this, this, this group and these folks that are watching. That, that uh, Lord, I pray that you just open our hearts to what you want to tell us. Teach us from your word today, Father. And uh, may we be encouraged from your word, and may we use that to encourage others. Amen. You know, one of the great things about our God, one of the great things about our God is that he loves to encourage us. He does. Scripture is, is just filled with stories containing encouraging words. Uh, I think of, of like Abraham and how encouraged he must have felt when at a very ripe age, God said, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to have a child. What an encouragement that must have been to him. Or uh, I think of the people, the nation of Israel, when they were wandering in the wilderness and how every morning for 40 years they would unzip their tent and God would provide them with food, with the manna. What an encouragement that might have been. Or my favorite Bible story, Gideon. Gideon who was tasked with um, going to war against the mighty Midianite army with just 300 guys. And Gideon was at a place where he was, he was pretty discouraged. He was like, I don't think I can pull this off. And God tells him one night, he says, I want you to sneak down to the enemy camp. And when you get there, I just want you to listen. And so he goes down there and he kind of hides behind a rock and he hears the soldiers talking. And what are they saying? We are afraid of this Gideon and what he's going to do to us. And God encouraged him with that. And he came and, and won that battle. Or how God sent Barnabas whose name means son of encouragement. He sent Barnabas to the Apostle Paul to work with him and help encourage him on his missionary journeys. Or the most obvious one, 
God encouraging us through his son Jesus, whom he sent to this earth to die for us and forgive us of our sins and provide eternal life for us. What an encouragement that is to us. God loves to encourage his children. And his desire is for us to do the same thing. I want to show you a verse this morning. If you don't know this verse, I encourage you to memorize it, to mark in your Bibles. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. And here's what it says. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. There's a command there. There's expectation as you're doing this. You're building people up. You're encouraging each other. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to open it up, whether it's a screen that scrolls or pages that turn, open it up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's found in the New Testament, very, very much at the back of the Bible. And uh, what this chapter is that we're going to look through today, is a, it's an encouragement to us. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but the whole book of 1 Thessalonians is primarily a, a book of encouragement. And um, uh, the, ch- the first chapter gives us a, a template of how to encourage folks. But let me give you a little background on what brings Paul to write <clears throat> this book. And uh, the Apostle Paul, as you know, wrote most of the New Testament. Maybe you don't know that, but he did. And uh, he has uh, taken some missionary journeys. And what he would do on these journeys is that he would, he would go to a city, he would preach the gospel, and he would start all these different churches. Well, he finished one journey, he's, he's on a second missionary journey. And partway through that, God intervenes a little bit and, and has a vision with Paul. And he tells him, I want you to go to the area of Macedonia, which is just a little bit farther north, just south of, of Italy, but in that northern Mediterranean region. And so um, Paul says, okay, we're going to do that. And he's got two companions with him, a guy named Silas, a guy named Timothy. And uh, let, me, let me summarize how this journey goes for the Apostle Paul, because I don't know that most of us would sign up for this. So Paul heads into a city. The first city he comes to after this vision is, is the city of Philippi, which uh, the book of Philippians comes from that church. And he gets to the city. He starts preaching. Well, guess what? People respond, and they say, yes, I want Jesus. And they, we, a lot of Jesus followers uh, are Come into, come into fruition through his ministry. But at the same time, opposition comes up. And there's a group that forms that don't, doesn't like Paul and what he's doing. And so this mob forms, and they actually grab Paul. They beat him, and they throw him in jail. Now, through a miracle, Paul is released from that prison, and he goes to the city of Thessalonica. He gets there, and he starts over. He starts preaching. People come to respond and, and, and become Jesus followers. Pretty soon, opposition happens, and a mob is formed. This time, Paul gets warned about it, and he heads down the road a few miles to the city of Berea. He gets to Berea. He starts over. He starts preaching. People start responding. And in Berea, people were much more responsive to his gospel. Now, what happens here, he's in Berea, and the people who were in Thessalonica say, what happened to that Paul guy? We want to get him. And they find out, oh, he's in Berea. So they start heading there. Paul gets warned about that. And he leaves Berea, and he heads down to Athens. And he stays there for a little while, teaching to some of the philosophers there. And then he ends up down in Corinth. And this is important because of what happens there. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I find this lifestyle to be a little bit discouraging. Where every day I wake up not knowing whether today's the day I'm going to be beaten or killed or captured for my faith in Jesus. And so Paul finds himself kind of at a low point. But we serve a God of encouragement. And in Acts chapter 18, I want to read a couple of verses before I get to 1 Thessalonians. God appears to Paul in a vision. And I want you to listen to the encouragement that he gives him. He says, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. 
And so Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Folks, those words of encouragement allowed the Apostle Paul to move the gospel forward in amazing ways because now he had relative uh, peace knowing that he could do that. One of his concerns was for all of these churches that he had started. And one of the churches in particular was the one in Thessalonica because, if you remember, he had gotten run out of town and he didn't have the opportunity to really establish that church the way that he wanted to. And so he's very concerned on how they're doing. And so what Paul does, now that he's got some some relative peace there, is he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica and he says, hey, I want you to go to that church and I want you to bring me back a report. I want to know how they're doing. I want to make sure they're doing okay. So Timothy goes to the church, he comes back with a report, and it's an extremely encouraging report. And Paul is just excited about that. And so Paul now is encouraged, and he becomes the encourager as he writes this letter of 1 Thessalonians. And so I want to take a look at this first chapter, and I want to show you, and as you read it, just listen for the words of encouragement, because it's a great template for us on how we should encourage others. Let's read it together. Chapter 1, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Notice what he says here. We always thank God for you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor produced by love, prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's letting them know here. He says, look, you guys have done amazing things through your faith, your hope, and your love. Verse 4, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul reminds them of whose they are. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. With the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Paul encourages them. He talks about how they've been, they are imitating who Jesus is. In verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God also became known everywhere. Therefore, in light of all the great things you're doing, therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Paul is over-the-top excited for what this church is doing, and he just is amazed at what they're doing, and he just pours out his encouragement to them. And in reading that, there are some things that we can learn about encouragement, a template, if you will, and I want to just quickly show you this. I want you to notice some principles here. Here's the first one. When we encourage people, encourage them for what they have done. Notice that Paul encouraged them for their faith, for their hope, for their love. These are things that they had done, and Paul encourages them for that. Secondly, encourage people for what they are doing. We can see what they are doing. He commends them for what? For being imitators, present tense, of Jesus, that they're continuing to do that. And so he encourages them. You're doing a great job. Keep doing that. And then he encourages people for what they will do. We can encourage people to say, hey, this, I think you're going to be great at this. You're going to do this. In verse 10, it talks about how they are enduring. They're waiting for the Son, the return of Christ. 
and that they can endure what they're doing and continually do that. He's saying, you guys are going to be great. It's a great model for encouragement, to encourage people what they have done, what they are doing, and what they will do. Paul was joyful for this church. And friends, if you want joy in your life, in your future, live a life of encouragement today. Well, as I mentioned earlier, generational encouragement, or the currency of encouragement, it's, it's, it's free, <laughs> it's plentiful, and it's powerful. It has no expiration date, okay? Words of encouragement have the ability to change the course of people's lives. You need to realize that. It's available to be given by anybody at any age, any time. However, this is where I want to shift gears a little bit. However, I believe that encouragement carries the most weight when it is especially comes from those in the seasoned generation. Simply because the words of generational encouragement are often salted with experience. Let me explain that. So you can, you can encourage somebody by not having no experience in, in what they're doing, right? Of course you can, and that's okay to do that. I can, say, I can say, I think you should take karate lessons. Yes, I think you should. You're thinking about taking karate? I think you should do it. I think it would be great for you to do that. You, you're athletic. You're, 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 you, I think you'd be great at it. I can do that without having any experience in, in karate. Um, my, my two grandsons, uh, the, the younger ones, are taking karate lessons for the last couple of years. And uh, it is fun to watch. It truly is. And I, I love to encourage them that and that. I do. And, and I don't have any, all of my karate training, folks, I just want you to know, comes from watching the Karate Kid movies. <laughs> all of it. Okay? I can, I can teach my grandsons wax on and wax off. <laughs> I can teach them that. Funny, funny story, the, 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 he was six at the time, Logan, he, he, um, he was over and he was showing me his moves, you know, and, and the bigger they get, the harder they kick too, by the way, but anyway, um, he's showing me his moves and, and so grandpa's like, let me, let me teach you something about karate. Well, he, he doesn't like washing my car, it's just not going to happen, so I teach him the crane technique and he, he likes it, he's having fun with it. Well, he goes back to karate class the next time. And they do their warm-ups, and then they spar, you know, and they put another little kid in front of them, and they do their little bow. He does this, and then he goes like this. <laughs> and the instructor, it was very funny, but the instructor, the instructor very quickly, you know, said, no, son, we're not going to do that here. And, uh, and, and now they, they don't let me teach him karate anymore. But <laughs> the point is, you can encourage somebody without having any experience. Do that. It's okay to do that. But when I say to someone, hey, I think you're doing a great job as a parent. I saw how you handled that situation with your, with, your, with your kid. And I remember when my kid was near that age and we had a similar situation and I did this, very similar to what you did, and it turned out okay. When I say those words, seasoned with experience, it carries a whole lot more weight. Those of us listening today who, who fit into this seasoned category, we come well-equipped with experience. Bought and paid for experience, Right? It's there. Um, I believe because of that, we have an obligation to be encouragers and pass along that experience. But if we're going to do that, it requires intentionality. We can't just sit back and wait for people to come to us and say, please encourage me. We have to look for the opportunities to go out and be that encourager to others. And if we'll do that, I can promise you it will bring joy in your life. Because if you want joy in your future, you've got to live a life of encouragement today. 
Um, as I was thinking through this, this message for this week, I, 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 did, some, I did this thing I, I called a, uh, an encouragement audit, is what I called it. And, and I would encourage you to try this. Um, I spent some time piecing together uh, powerful, encouraging moments that happened in my life and how they've affected my life and how they changed my life. And I want to share a few of them with you because I think this is something that um, you, you, you may want to do. So I start, with a, I start with a guy named Mr. Spears. Now, I'm fortunate my parents took me to, to, to church when I was a kid. And so Mr. Spears was my fourth and fifth grade boy Sunday school teacher. So you know that he had his hands full. And uh, here's what I remember about Mr. Spears. He was tall, he was, he was uh, soft-spoken, and he was a plumber. That's all I remember about him. However, um, he was very, very smart. And, and here's how he encouraged me. So he, would, he, would, uh, he had his hands full with us boys. But one Sunday, he comes to church, and he, he made a homemade board game. He took a piece of cardboard, and he drew like squares on it and, and made up these trivia questions. And I love games, so I was, I was all in. So I'm like, I'm paying attention during the lesson because I want to I have time to play the game. And so he would play this game with us, and he was always so encouraging with me. He would, he would tell me a question, I wouldn't know the answer. And instead of just telling me, he would say, no, Dwayne, remember that Bible story? Remember this Bible story? Remember this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would get the answer. And here's what that encouragement did. He would do this week after week. That encouragement unlocked in me uh, a desire to want to learn what was in these pages. And so it was at that point in my life, I, fourth or fifth grade, when I, I took my Bible at home and, and read through it from cover to cover because I wanted to know more of what was in there. And his encouragement unlocked that for me. Fast forward a few years, I think I'm 16 years old, and uh, my wife Sherry is teaching, a, well, she wasn't my wife then, she's my girlfriend then. <laughs> we got married young, but not that young. But anyway, she's teaching a third grade Sunday school class at our church. And so she, she tries to encourage me. Well, she didn't try. She did. She encourages me. She's Dwayne, you should come down and help me teach this class. And I'm like, Sherry, I don't know anything about teaching a Sunday school class. She said, no, you would be so good at it. You would be great at it. You should do it. And she kept encouraging me. So I said, okay, I'll come help. And so I came down there and helped her for a few weeks. And then you know what happens. I'm going to be gone next week. I need you to teach the lesson. <laughs> well, I've been there, right? You know how it goes. And so I did it. And I loved it. It was amazing. And her encouragement what it did is it unlocked in me a desire to want to teach God's word that still resides with me today. And so I, I just thank God for that encouragement that she had. Fast forward just a few years. I think I'm about 21. And uh, we're at a church and there's a guy there named Bud. And Bud is the Sunday school superintendent at the church. And uh, he comes to me one Sunday and he says, Dwayne, I'm going to be stepping out of this, this role as a Sunday school superintendent. I'd like you to step into it. I'm like, but I, I got a wife and two kids. I don't know nothing about teaching or leading a Sunday school department. He said, no, Dwayne, you would be great at it. You would be good at it. I'll help you with it. And so I stepped into it. It was a volunteer thing. I said, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I didn't know what I was doing, but he said, hey, there's a convention up in Chicago. Take the, you know, so we took all the leaders up there, and we just did it. But what it did, and Bud's continued encouragement, was it unlocked in me a desire to want to lead in a church. That's still there today. Fast forward one more time, I promise. Just a few years, I think I'm about 27, and uh, we're at a church, and there's a pastor named Dave O'Dell. Dave O'Dell, just as a caveat, is the most encouraging guy I ever worked with, worked for, and, and been around. But anyway, Dave pulls me aside one Wednesday night after prayer meeting, and he says, Duane, I'm looking to hire a full-time youth pastor at this church. We've never had one, and I think you'd be the guy. And I'm like, Dave, I, you mean like, like leave my job, quit my job, and do this for a living type thing? He says, yes. He says, I think you'd do great. I said, well, I like working with students, but I don't know. He said, no, I think you'd do great. And so, long story short, we did it. We stepped into it by faith. 
And, uh, I, and Dave was just so encouraging. I remember the first night we met at student ministry, I think there was four of us. And I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work. And Dave said, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. And, and, and he just kept encouraging me, and God just blessed that ministry. And over the next eight years, we had over, over 1,000 students come through this ministry. And God just continued to encourage uh, through him. But what he taught me, not was just how to receive encouragement, but how to give encouragement, how to be an encourager and build that back into the lives of other people. And it makes a difference, folks. It truly makes a difference. Every one of those things that I just shared with you were key moments because of encouragement. And if you want joy in your future, learn to live a life of encouragement today. I think legacy is best built by encouragement. And the only true lasting legacy that we're ever going to pass on to our kids is encouragement that they're going to take into the next generation with them. General, generational encouragement matters. There's a great um, example of this in Scripture. You know, the Apostle Paul, he had, he had a young guy that was traveling with him named Timothy. There's two, book, two letters in the Bible that Paul wrote to him. But uh, Timothy was a product of generational encouragement. I want to read a quick verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul shows us this legacy. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Eunice, and in your mother, Lois, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You see, Timothy became the person, the, the leader, the pastor that he was because of the encouragement of his grandmother and his mother. And, and then it was nurtured through the Apostle Paul as well. All of us in this room, all of us watching online, we have the ability and the opportunity to be encouragers. But our seasoned generation has so much to offer. And one thing that we, seasoned folks, have that oftentimes our younger friends don't is time. I know it seems like a paradox. Like the older I get, the more time I have. Well, not really, but yes, in the sense that we have more discretionary time sometimes. Discretionary time that we can use to encourage that 28-year-old mom with three kids. Or time to invest in praying for that 28-year-old mom with three kids. But you know what? To do it, we have to be intentional. And to be intentional, we have to be involved. And I, and I, think, there's some, I think there's some key things that can definitely help with generational um, encouragement. And I want to share, share, share with them three things with you very quickly. And here's, here's what they are. And this is where I'm, I'm speaking to myself. One of them, if you're going to be an encourager generationally, you've got to stay involved. <laughs> Meaning, you've got to be willing to interact with younger generations. I know sometimes it gets harder and harder, but we got to be willing to do that if you want to be an encourager. If you want to be a generational encourager, you got to be willing to stay in touch with culture. And this can be the hardest one. We have to be willing to, to learn the language of the culture, to maybe follow younger folks on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or whatever's going on so that we can speak the language and encourage them. And thirdly, stay connected to God. You know what? We, we, we have to stay connected. You can't give water from a dry well and so no matter what age we get to we still have to stay connected to this word and through prayer let God encourage us as we encourage others if you want joy in your future folks learn to live a life of encouragement today I'm going to land this plane 
sharing just this with you. As I mentioned earlier, um, I, I've, been, I've been truly blessed. I've had the opportunity to uh, have influence in, in the lives of a lot of former students, family members, coworkers, so on and so forth. And I've tried to stay in touch. And as I've gotten in this seasoned part of my life, I, I, I prayerfully have been asking God, God, how can I continue to make impact? Um, how can I continue to, to make a difference in the lives of some of the people maybe that if God has put in my path over the years and his answer to me keeps coming back, simply encourage them. Continue to encourage them. And so I try to do that as often as possible, but I want to give you a, a, just a, an idea, a tool, and you, I'm, I'm, this is not original, but the Zoom platform is amazing for this. We all came to know Zoom, Amen. We all got sick of Zoom, right? Amen? Yes, we all get that. But the Zoom platform, it's been amazing because what I've been able to do um, is, is I've set up lots and lots of Zoom calls with former students, with family, family just because they don't live next to me, but just to talk to them, just to catch up. How are you doing? How's your family doing? How's your ministry doing? How's your kids doing? How's life treating you? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? And those conversations have been just amazing, very rich. And I tell you what, most of the time at the end of those conversations, I will hear something to the effect of, Duane, you have no idea how timely this was. And you know what? They're right. I don't know how timely it was, but God does. And I believe God uses every encouraging word to make a difference in people's lives. I know personally, I've shared with you how encouragement has made a difference in my life, and I would bet that you could share stories of how encouragement has made a difference in your life. So I'm asking you to encourage others and make a difference in their life. I want to leave you with a challenge today, a simple challenge. And uh, I want to encourage you to do this challenge before today ends. Take time today to encourage one or two people. Now, I don't mean looking at your wife next to you and saying, you look beautiful today, honey. That should be a default, guys. I'm saying encourage somebody. A simple way, right here. Text them. Hey, I love you. Hey, good. To, good. I hope you're doing well. Hey, can, how can I pray for you? Hey, I, I appreciate you. Those simple words of encouragement. It's simple to do that. It's, it's free, it's plentiful, and it's powerful. And on top of that, friends, it's biblical. Let me remind you again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Friends, if you want joy in your future, live a life of encouragement today. You'd be glad you did. We're going to wrap this up today. I'm going to ask um, Jordan and Kimberly to come up, and we're going to, we're going to pray. Um, and at the end of this prayer, um, if, as we dismiss, if you want prayer after service, our, our uh, prayer team will be up here as well. But we've had this series we've done for the last several weeks where we've, we've talked through students and children and young adults and young marrieds. And so I've asked Jordan to come up and pray for our students and, and our young adults and, and young marrieds since she, in a week ago, now fits that category. <laughs> we're excited about that. And then uh, Kimberly is going to, Pastor Kimberly is going to pray for our, our families that are here. And then I'll, I'll wrap up praying for our seasoned generation. But we are a multi-generational church and we work together. When we work together and we encourage one another, great things happen. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going we're gonna to pray together as we head out. God, I thank you for all the students all of the generations in middle school, high school, college age, those who have just recently graduated, those who are young and married, God, I, I thank you that you have brought them here, that they're a part of our church, that 
we all get to come together and worship you. I pray that you would strengthen and that you would equip them all with the tools to just work towards your will and your plan for their lives. God, I just pray that they would know your love, that they would share that love with those around them, that they would share it with their community, that they would share it with others here at Mountain Park. I pray for young marriages, that you would um, make those relationships rooted in you, that they would be connected to you and all of the love that they have for each other, that it would come from a love for you and a love from you. Father, this morning we lift up our families, our parents, our kids, and those who are, are in a season of waiting for their family to grow or to begin or to be blessed. God, we just lift them all up for those days that they are tired, they are exhausted, that you would be with them, that would you would lift them up, that you would put it on the heart of mine or mind of someone around to, to call or text or encourage them, God, that they would have that support around them. God, we, we pray for these parents as they, as they pour into their kids and raise up this next generation of disciples, God, that you would equip them. Again, you, God, you would uh, bring them into a community around them to help them to speak in, into that. So, God, that these kids would would grow up knowing you, how incredible you are. And, and then that cycle would continue that eventually they might grow up and create new disciples and raise that next generation for you, God. But, but in this season today, God, we just ask, encourage them, uh, help them uh, when they're, and they just don't know that they can take that, that next step, that, that next, uh, whether it's a discipline or encouragement or get up one more time in the middle of night, that you guys would be with them and show them just a glimpse of the fruit uh, that they are, they are bearing, God, as they continue to pour into this next generation. Amen. And Father God, I just lift up our, our seasoned generation, Lord, whether they're single, whether they're married, Father, there's impact to be made. And Father, I just pray that as, um, as we move forward, Lord, that we look for opportunities to provide that encouragement, whether to be to our kids, grandkids, Lord, our, our our families, our friends, our co-workers, Father, that that, uh, that that encouragement can make a difference in a person's life. It can change the trajectory of a person's life, Father. Help us to lean into that, Lord, and to not shy away from it. Father, I thank you for the wisdom that's involved in this. I thank you for the experience that's there and how you're going to use it. Father, I pray for our church that collectively, Lord, we will come together and that all generations will work together, Lord, for one cause and one reason, Lord, to help people realize their role in your story. Father, help us never lose sight of that. In all God's people said, amen.